On November 17, 2016, Robert B. Jr., also known as Banzai, skipped school and later ran from the police and a truancy officer. The next morning, he was reportedly walking with a friend to the bus stop, but made a detour home first. One of these instances was likely the last time he was seen alive in public. Banzai primarily lived with his mother in Pekin, Illinois. It was a troubled home rumored to be filled with drug use, prostitution, and unseemly visitors. If there was ever an example of a child that was a product of their environment, this was it. Banzai would sometimes disappear for days on end, staying with friends, skipping school, and running around town. He'd learned to do a lot of things on his own, with his home often being less than an ideal living space, though his rough lifestyle was quickly leading him towards juvenile detention. So when he disappeared, it was not at first considered anything more than the case of a runaway. But by January of 2017, search efforts would be in full force. Details surrounding his disappearance were murky and contradictory. Family members pointed fingers, the community had their own ideas, and the police were keeping information to an internal level. Months came and went with searches leading to nothing and no new developments coming forth. And then on a fateful day in July of 2017, the skeletal remains of a little boy were found scattered in the woods at the edge of a private property. It was Banzai, finally found eight months after he had vanished. And this wasn't simply a case of a little boy getting lost and injured in the woods, unable to find help and dying alone. It was ruled a homicide. Over two years later, as of October 2019, the case is seemingly dried up. There have been no arrests. There have been no convictions. There have been no answers. A child's death that has haunted the town of Pekin for the past year. On November 18th, 13-year-old Robert B. was reported as a runaway by his mother. However, we have been in touch with the Illinois State Police and are in the process of entering information of a missing or endangered person advisory. And what happened to Robert B. brought people in Pekin out to search for answers themselves weekend after weekend. Thousands of leads poured into the Pekin Police Department. The search for the teenager coming to a halt on a hot July day when his skeletal remains were found. So when the cops originally thought that he might have been a runaway, they hadn't experienced him being a runaway before at all? No. So that was kind of completely unfounded that that's the oh, yeah. original. That's why when they said runaway, I told the cops he didn't run away. Like I said, every time I see would see her, no remorse, nothing. Yeah. I mean, just blank. How many times did you turn? Did you talk to DHS or I would call DCFS. DCFS. I don't know. I lost track. Are you talking like maybe ten or twenty? Or are you talking like hundreds? Hundreds. Hundreds. Wow. Throughout his life, yeah. They were not doing anything. They didn't have cops out there doing investigations. Nothing. My question was to the town hall, like to the police officers. Why aren't you out there? There's so much more that could have been done there. A lot, lot more.
I'm curious to see how much information is actual source information and how much is just people hearing from one place he was at his house and now four people have heard he was at his house or he was at his friend's house yeah. and they've themselves established one story as fact. Yeah. Then we started seeing state cops and we started seeing county cops and city cops and they were taking boxes and putting them in trunks of police cars. Looks like he might have had to actually walk past house. Yeah, that's my thought. In order to get to the train tracks at any point, or to go from the train tracks to his house, he would have had to walk past house as well. Here's your message from Hello, I saw you were doing a piece on Robert B. in Pekin, Illinois. I was a part in the search for him, most of the people in the Facebook groups are nothing but drama and lies. Please protect yourself as some could be dangerous. You're responsible for your children's lives. So who you hang out with, who you bring around your children, you're responsible for. In a way, Lisa's responsible. My name is Ash, and uh, I guess you could say I'm a filmmaker and true crime fanatic. I guess I should clear up when I say true crime fanatic because I'm, I'm interested in true crime because of the ability to solve something that seems unsolvable or the fact that you're putting together a puzzle um, that maybe somebody else couldn't put together. I look at tri true crime a lot as you have a couple people usually being investigators or cops who are looking at the same puzzle, you know, a, a million piece puzzle and they keep trying to put all the pieces together and but they're staring at it for sometimes years and when you keep staring at it as anyone who's done a puzzle knows sometimes you just can't find the one piece you need and then you know your mom walks by and picks up the puzzle piece and puts it right where you've been trying to find the piece for for you know days and I think that's kind of what true crime is is that sometimes it takes somebody else looking at a case from a different vantage point and because a lot of times I do see cases that are solved uh, years or decades later and all the pieces were there it was just hard to put them together um, or something kind of got lost in the shuffle and then when a new set of eyes looks at it uh, they can help get to the bottom of it. I really think what we're trying to do here is just be another factor in an investigation that can potentially get it solved or at least give us answers and maybe help expunge theories that are no longer accurate that people seem to be hanging on to. So it's really just we're trying to take all the evidence that we can get our hands on and look at it in an objective way. Our plan is to release episodes every other week and the reason we want to do that is because we want to give people a chance to call in and give tips or information if they have it because the the 
podcast and um, series is actually an ongoing investigation. So these first couple episodes were kind of laying out the details and what we know, and it's that's basically kind of what the public already knows. And then as time goes on and we start getting more and more tips in, we're going to start investigating and going down those roads and then um, doing episodes on what we're finding. So we really need the help of the public and the community to also give us tips and suggestions so that we can look into those things. I think we live in a society where um, often criminals are not held accountable for their actions. And the problem with that is that, yes, you can't change what happened to this one victim. I can't change it. I can't bring them back to life. I can't take their pain away. But what I can try to do is make sure this doesn't happen to somebody else. And when people slip through the cracks, it's not just like, oh, the poor victim never sees justice. Uh, that's such a huge part of it. But even on the, on the flip side of that is that there are other victims created. So the importance of uh, trying to solve a crime or to put someone behind bars who did something to hurt somebody is more important than we realize because it isn't just about what happened to the one person. It's about what's going to happen to future people. And I think that that's one thing we really need to keep in mind um, is why we can't give up on these cases because we still have a rapist or a murderer or uh, a thief out on the road um, who's going to victimize other people. And I think that that's been a, a huge reason why I would like to investigate some of these cases is because I know that there's still someone out there who is going to hurt other people and I want to try to stop them in their tracks. Originally I was on Instagram and I had just posted if anyone had any crime stories that they felt could have been solved that weren't or any mysteries that they would like some answers on and within like 15 minutes I had gotten three people separate from one another um, asking about Bonsai or the Robert B case, which that's Robert B's nickname. And so I started chatting with one of the women, asking her her connection and, you know, if, if she had a deeper connection. And she said no, that she just very much cared about this case and that she really hoped that I would look into it because she just felt that there needed to be something else done. I think the turning point, though, was when I saw a picture of Robert and something just clicked. You have this... Uh, adorable 13-year-old boy with kind of a, a reddish-brown hair and a gap between his teeth and a big smile. That's the picture that I saw right off the bat. And I just knew I wanted to be a voice for him. I think a lot of times we're trying to be the voice for uh, the voiceless. You know, we're trying to we're trying to put this puzzle together so that people understand why it happens. It doesn't make it okay. It's never gonna be okay. But at least that can bring peace to some people when they understand who did it or why it happened. And so when I saw Robert, I just knew, I just felt a connection and I felt that we could help out um, getting some answers here. I joined some of the Facebook groups, which were amazing because you have these Facebook groups with thousands of followers who have all these amateur sleuths trying to help solve this case, which I thought was really unique to this case. When I first signed up to be in some of these groups, um, a woman reached out to me who knew a lot about the case. Um, and I was impressed with the amount of knowledge she had, and um, she's just an amateur sleuth, uh, which was amazing. And so I asked her if she minded if I met with her, and she agreed uh, as long as we uh, kept her anonymous since she didn't have a connection to the case. Um, I'll just call her Lily to simplify it, but that is not her name. Please drive to
so we went to Lily's house and she sat us down at a table and she had all these papers spread out and she gave us an entire notebook of information um, that had to do with this case. Um, and then she spent the next two, three hours with us in the vehicle driving around and showing us Pekin, um, giving us a feel for the town. And then as we kind of approached the end of the ride, she asked us if we wanted to see where Robert was found. Literally two miles from the house where Robert lived is where his body was found. And certainly, uh, I guess it's a rural part, but it's literally on the edge of town behind somebody's house. So how I had interpreted it in the news was completely incorrect uh, to actually where it was. Um, I was shocked at how close it was to the town. Um, I was shocked at how easy it would be to even walk to this area. So it wasn't even that far of a walk and you could easily walk the railroad tracks all the way to this location. So I think that's the thing that surprised me the most. So we pulled up on the side of this foresty road. Uh, we got out of the vehicles and there was this like overgrown path that we could kind of walk into. Um, but then once you got in the trail, you had to veer off the trail. And when you veered off the trail, it was not um, an easy spot to walk. There was branches everywhere, plants. Um, you were, you know, walking through dense kind of wooded area. Um, not a place that would have been easy to drag or carry a body. Um, and so then after we walked a couple hundred feet, all of a sudden you could see orange and yellow evidence markers. I would probably say there was about 25 plus evidence markers spread out uh, through probably a 15 foot diameter. And when we stepped into that area, the feeling was almost palpable like this was really happening, like we were really doing this. There was no going back, there was no changing anything. We were standing here and we had to complete this journey and it became very real and very visceral. And the reality of you're actually talking about a 13 year old boy. It's not hypothetical, it's not fantasy, it's actually a human whose life was taken and this is where they were so callously left. So I think that that really hit home at that moment. Right 50 feet from there was railroad tracks and a creek called Lost Creek that ran through there. And so that was really interesting to me that the tracks were right there. It would not really have been that difficult to find this spot. It is rather difficult to walk there from the tracks or from the road, but there is a house that backs right up to where he was found that has a chain link fence that opens. So that is an easy way to bring a body back there. Um, if you were trying to dispose of a body. So I think that is what became really interesting is that there was an easy access um, to put this body there if you walk through somebody's yard. Um, if you walk through the woods though, it wouldn't have been impossible, but it would have been much more difficult. So during this trip to Pekin too, we had also reached out to the Pekin Times to try to talk to Mike Smothers, who was the reporter who reported on the case originally. 
My understanding was that he was retired, but I still thought he could give us some good insights and really give us kind of the building blocks for this case. And he was wonderful in helping us establish a timeline. And actually it was a, an article that came out a year after Robert's death, so in November of 2017, where the article was titled, One Year Later, BK Stell, One Step at a Time. And he had written this for the Peak and Daily Times, but it really outlined uh, what had happened um, up until that year point. What really set this case apart? Um, and it, it, it testifies to the nature of this community. It prompted uh, such an outpouring of concern uh, and involvement. Mm -hmm. The community recognized right away that the case wasn't being taken seriously as th this child could have been kidnapped or being hurt and instead was a runaway and the community didn't seem to believe that. And, and from what we've been able to find out right here in the initial steps of this case is that it, it appears he wasn't looked at as a um, someone who could have been involved in foul play until January. And I think there's a huge disconnect when you're talking about a month and a half, two months from the day someone goes missing to the day that they that people start looking at it as foul plays involved. That's a huge gap of time where, you know, someone's survival rate drops significantly. What you see from um, the the people who have boots on the ground basically is that they're out searching for him. They're checking out the rural areas in and around uh, Pekin. They're going from home to home asking questions. And we got in the house. I acted, you know, me being the little investigator I am, I acted like I was trying to rip out and da 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 da. And we looked around the house and she flat out said that there was blood in that house. It's in the floor joist. You're talking about the, uh, Lisa's house on Sap Street. Lisa's house. Okay. Yes. You actually posed as a potential renter and went in there and took a look around, basically. Yes. Okay. But it had already been cleaned out. Okay. And so I think you see all this stuff happening because people didn't believe that the police were doing what they should be doing. And I think that was taking this as a serious missing persons case and not a runaway. Up until the point where the cops actually asked the community to slow down its searches and, and stop doing the amateur sleuthing, which I can understand on some level because that can get in the way. But I think also the community, I understand where they were coming from. If they feel that the cops weren't doing what they should have been doing, they felt like somebody had to be the voice for Robert. So I think you have a lot of people in this community who want answers. And I think that's really unique to this case. I've, I've never seen so many amateur sleuths or people looking into stuff or trying to get information on things um, to the detriment of their families and relationships. And, and so I, I think that's one of the things that attracted me to this case um, because there are so many people who care out there. I think the hardest thing for me to deal with about Robert is that he slipped through the cracks. And we hear that with a lot of these cases, um, but ch Children Protective Services from the people we've interviewed were called well over a hundred times. And, and I don't understand after seeing pictures of Lisa's house, how something wasn't done. Um, it, the house looked much like a hoarder's house. There were no photos of beds that didn't have mounds of stuff on them. The cot that Robert supposedly slept on that was in the living room was this blue plastic cot. Uh, was had a lamp and a bunch of stuff on it. So I don't even know how someone could have slept there comfortably. So it's really hard to even know where someone could have slept in this house. It's not very big. I feel like it's about 700 square feet and that includes two bedrooms, a living room, a kitchen and a bathroom. 
Um, and from all the pictures I saw of immediately after Robert went missing, the house is in a very deplorable state, um, a place where I definitely would not have wanted to live or I would not have wanted a child to live there. I would felt that they were unsafe and, and it was not a clean or healthy environment. DCFS was so involved. Yeah. Um, she was going to lose her state aid. She was going to lose this. Okay. She was even going to, it came down to where um, she was going to lose her SSI for him mm -hmm. because he was in my home. Yeah. And I said, I don't want it. This is not the first time. You yeah. guys keep dropping the ball on this kid. He's mine. He's my brother. He's my blood. And figure it out. She got him back because she went through parenting classes. She did everything that she's supposed to do. It's really hard to think about when you see it, to understand how anyone could have been like, this is a good situation for a child to be in, because it definitely couldn't have been. Some of the things we really want to look into with this case are all the, the missteps leading up to Robert actually going missing and then eventually being killed. Um, and I think that th those pieces need to be looked at because I think they contributed to his death. They might not have been the person who actually snuffed out his life, but they were absolutely partially responsible. If CPS was really called over a hundred times and did nothing and saw the conditions of that home, I don't really know how that could have been acceptable in any way, shape, or form. So that's one of the things we're going to look into. Um, why Robert was considered a runaway for so long, and were the police actively looking for those two months, or did they not really start looking until January? In fact, I walked out of the one-time hall meeting, I left my wallet in there, and then one officer came out, he's like, I just want to let you know, we really are going out there and investigating. Mm -hmm. Okay, but I don't see it. Yeah. I'm the one out there searching the woods. I'm out there getting sick and searching beds and digging and searching. Where are you? Because I don't see you. Yeah. I haven't seen you out there once. We had to, groups out there trying to hire other groups to come in. That's where they all ended up here for. Yep. Because the police officers weren't doing it. The uh, newspaper in uh, Peoria. Pino, Pinoria or Pekin? Pekin. Was it the Pekin? Yeah. Okay. Um, wants to do a story on what we're doing. When doing pieces like this, there's always sort of that line that you have to decide as like a journalist or a documentarian, like, are, are we trying to solve this or are we trying to tell like the story and mm -hmm. provide the information we have? So I, obviously you guys are sort of just starting down this road, but yeah. do you think, um, I guess, do you find yourself on one side of that spectrum or do you think there's sort of room for both? in the world of like journalism and documentary? I think especially in recent years, mm -hmm. um, what you've seen some podcasters um, do mm -hmm. is they give people time to respond. Like everything yep. I've made in the past has been like a movie where it comes right. out and it is what it is and that's it. And now it's like you have people who want to respond and they are curious about what's happening but I think the podcast will be a good way to get that information and then that's how we can create that series out of it um, the investigation and whether that just means at the end we're like wow well, well we don't know mm -hmm. but here you know Robert was an important person that f should be recognized for that you sure. know and um, or maybe we do uncover something which would be amazing or maybe just the cops figure it out while we're doing this and that could be amazing too because then we can fully tell that story right. maybe even show the police's um, the side of it if they 
want to talk or if they have anything that they want to add, like kind of do, go for a full circle. And as soon as that article came in is when I started to get messages on Facebook, phone calls from people. And I think that was when I, the ball really started rolling, when we started really starting to piece things together. Um, we started finding the major players to interview and, uh, and really anyone who was involved or had seen anything we wanted to talk to. So that really opened up those doors for us. I mean, I really think everyone involved here wants to find out what happened to Robert. And why hasn't it been solved yet? What are the roadblocks? What are the theories? Uh, are there any theories that we can cross off the list? Um, who's the most likely suspect? Uh, is anybody else's kids in danger? Because I think that's one of the upsetting things is uh, the police say uh, just days after Robert's gone missing that people don't need to be worried about their kids. And I think part of that was because Robert was considered a runaway, but he didn't run away. Um, or if he did, he was still met with foul play. So no, regardless of how you look at it, there's still a murderer out there who is not behind bars, or if they are, they're not behind bars for this case. So I think that it, it, I do think other families should be worried. I do think people should be nervous because when a case like this isn't solved, it doesn't just go away. It means that there is somebody out there, there is a loose cannon among us who could potentially take the lives of us or a family member. And, and so I think that that's a real uh, glaring reality that we need to be looking at. We need everybody's help. Uh, we are not going to solve this on our own. We need the community's help and support and we've gotten such a great outreach already. So if you know something about this case, if you have information regarding this case, um, if there's a piece of the puzzle that you think you can help fill in, please feel free to reach out. Uh, really no piece of information or tip is too small. So please, I ask that if you feel that you have something to share, please give us a call or email and we'll try to get through those tips in a timely manner. And uh, as this as series goes on, we will investigate some of these tips um, if they seem viable. So please feel free to call or email and um, let us know if you have thoughts or evidence involving this case. It's real now. I feel like we're here and it's real. And that's, that's kind of crazy. Like, I feel like we have to figure out who killed Robert. Oh, yeah, no. I, I'm like, I'm starting to fixate on that, to be perfectly honest. Like, I genuinely think that we, we need to. Like, I need to now. Like, I really need to know what happened to this little boy. Yeah, I feel like it's going to, like, literally haunt me for the rest of my life. But if I'm, we don't get to the bottom of this.